0: We're going to continue a series called Built Different, how we're in the world, but not of the world. We're different from the world. We don't respond to the world. The way the world responds, we respond different. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Let's get right into the word of God. Stand with me as we prepare to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And I'm going to try to have self-control on this Sunday morning. But GCCK moved their service to a different location, so I got all the time. <laughs> Let's read Philippians chapter 2. That's just your warning if you've got a lunch reservation. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen if you believe it? Let's pray in the house this morning. Father God, we love you. And Lord, we are grateful for your presence in this place. God, you are the reason that we are here. We believe that one encounter from you, one touch from you can change everything. Lord, our desire is to leave this place different, seeing you for who you are, not walking out the same way we came in, but with a different aroma on us, a different scent on us, a different spirit within us. So Lord, that is your work this morning. It's what only you can do. Can do so, Father. Would you come dwell among this people, change us from the inside out as we go into this word? Father, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is able to understand what the Spirit of the living God is saying to us in this place so that we could be healed as we return to you? Father, have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Say, Amen, and you can be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you remember who your childhood hero was growing up? The athlete, actor, celebrity that you idolized? Remember that person? If you could trade places with them, you would not a heartbeat if you just one afternoon with this person would change your world. Like you would just love to be with this person. You guys have a childhood hero? You're gonna have to start talking to me on Sunday. Do You guys have a childhood hero? Yes. Simple. okay, there we go. How are we talking, now we talking, now we talking. All right, all right. Um, whenever I think about this question, And I don't know why, but whenever I think about this question, whenever I've been asked this question, there was only one name that comes to mind for me. Only one name. It's a good guess, but no. it's more random than Michael Jordan. Some of y'all think I'm very holy. You'd go like, oh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or something. Nope, I wish. One name that comes to mind for me when I think about who my hero was growing up, it's more random than you realize. Ken Griffey Jr. And I don't even know why because I'm not even a baseball fan. Like baseball's fine. Some of y'all like it way more than you need to like it. It's fine. Baseball's fine. It's, it's fine. Um, not a baseball fan. I mean, Ken Griffey's fine. I don't really idolize him. He was never really my hero. But whenever I think about this question, he is the one name that comes to mind. My guess is that it's because when he was in his prime in the early 90s, I was in my prime athlete idolization phase. And he was the all-American, winning smile, incredible athlete, could do it all, and made baseball cool, which like nobody else has ever done. I'm bagging on baseball today. I'll be nice. He wore the backwards hat and everything, man. He was just great. So I just, I don't know, whenever I think of that, whenever I think of what a hero is, it's random, I know, but the image in my mind is Ken Griffey Jr. I don't know who the image is in your mind. I don't know if you ever had the chance to meet your hero. I never had the chance to meet Ken Griffey. I don't know if you had the chance to meet your hero, I hear it's dicey business, they always tell you what? Don't meet your heroes. They say it's better, not, it's better if you don't because the image you have of them in your mind is better than anything you can experience in the natural, right? Ain't that it, because we idolize people, we put an expectation up on them. I mean like, have you Googled the person that you were thinking of when we talked about your hero? Because if they're in the limelight at all, I can promise you, you can find something about them in their life that is a little bit unpleasant. We live our life in a very weird way where we idolize, aspire to, and desire to be like fallible men and fallible women. So much to the point that we actually say it's okay for them to be your hero, just don't get to know them. In that kind of a weird way to live your life, create a picture of a human in your mind to desire to be like, but just don't get too close, because if you got too close, you'd see some things you really don't like, and then you wouldn't have a hero anymore, See, I'm trying to tell you what the Bible is telling me through this passage, that there is one hero that it's okay for you to meet. There's one hero who lives up to the height. There's one hero who meets every expectation and exceeds them for you. There's one hero that you can get real close to and you don't have to be afraid to get close to him because he is better than you think the closer you get to him. We're here today to talk about the name of Jesus. We're here today to lift up the name of Jesus and to exalt him because the Bible says he has the name that is above every other name. And this passage today is teaching me that he is the safe bet to put all my hope, all my trust, and all my faith because he lives up to the hype. He is tied, tried, tested, and proven. I'm here to make one point for you today, which is this. In the story of your life, there is one hero. His name is Jesus, and all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise is his. Amen? Amen. Title of my message is, To God Be the Glory. This is the way that we are built different. We do not live our lives idolizing man or glorifying ourselves. We live our lives in a to God be the glory kind of way. Not unto me, but unto him. Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi for a lot of reasons. It's actually a pretty good church. They're doing pretty well. He's pleased with their generosity and what they're doing in the community. But there's an undercurrent in this church of a great nationalistic pride. There were a lot of retired Roman soldiers who lived in Philippi at the time, and so they very proudly boasted in and celebrated in the name of Rome and of human accomplishments. It's a tendency all of us have. I'm not here to bag on them. I'm just painting the picture. Paul is writing to them to help them see a different way to look at life, to help them understand what it would look like to truly live a Christ-centered, gospel-focused life. Instead of celebrating and glorifying Rome, instead of celebrating and glorifying your accomplishments, what if you lived a life of humble service and sacrifice like some of the great men Paul talks about in this letter? What if you lived a life like Jesus lived? What would it do for this community in Philippi and what would it do for this community here in Chantilly if we were a people who aspired to humility instead of accomplishment, Paul's reorienting them, helping them re-see the gospel and re-see Jesus to make the point that we do not achieve greatness in the same way the world achieves greatness. And if we want to make much of ourselves in the world, we actually have to make much less of ourselves in the world. You know the scripture, uh, true religion is caring for widows and orphans? Love that scripture. It should always reground us and re-center us as to why we're actually here and what we're doing. I've got to to turn on that phrase that I use in my personal life just for myself, which is that true ministry is setting up tables and chairs. And I just believe that to my core. Like if you feel in the room like you're called to ministry, there's a grace of God on your life. My one question is how do you feel about sweating in your church clothes? How do you feel about showing up early and staying late? Because chairs need to be moved, tables need to be set up, things need to be rearranged in the building. I just believe if you ever get to the point where you are above setting up tables and chairs, you are beyond the point where you can serve the Lord with a pure heart. True ministry is setting up tables and chairs. Ask any church planner, any youth group member, any volunteer on our team. We got ushers who stand and pass out communion, hospitality team that uh, passes out donuts. We got parking guys setting up cones. How many of you know when we talk about ministry, that's the ministry? That's the ministry. They're glorifying God with their service and serving the church and helping us to be great. I'm just convinced that the highest good and the highest goal of ministry is service. It's not platform, brand, vision statements, followers, engagement on social. It's none of that. The highest thing we can aspire to is service and sacrifice. And there's no greater place for you to be baptized into that than in the youth ministry or in children's church. Amen. Anybody ever served in the youth group in their life? Everybody ever served in children's ministry in the house? Yes, those hands only go up so high because (laughs) I got it. We're tired, you've carried a heavy load. Many years ago, um, uh, my wife was the youth ministry administrator on staff. She was on staff for almost a decade before we had our third child and the scales just tipped as they do. And, uh, And many years ago, we weren't even in this building yet. We were next door and we were doing our New Year's Eve event for the youth group. And that is an event that is an all-nighter event because some youth pastor had the great idea that what we all want to do is stay up for 24 hours as grown folk. But nonetheless, we're there serving that night and the first half of the event happens at the church. We bring in the New Year games and all that stuff. And then shortly after midnight, we load up all the students on the buses. We ship them over to Dave and Buster's and they just go crazy until about 7 a.m. before we bring them back to the church. So we did the first half of that event. And just destroyed the place, as you would imagine, four or five hundred teenagers in here on New Year's Eve would do with confetti and balloons and food and all the mess. We got all the students loaded up on the buses. We got everybody, you know, checked in, signed off, and shipped up the, up the street, I guess, to Maryland where the Dave & Buster's was. And my wife and I stayed back to kind of tidy some things up and, um, and get things in order. Now, what was unique about this New Year's Eve was this New Year's Eve fell on a Saturday night. yes, which means that although it's Saturday, Sunday's coming, which means that at 1 a.m. it cannot look like 500 teenagers had just had a party in the house of the Lord, which means before we left, we were going to have to return the church to church condition. So my wife and I until about 2, 2.30 in the morning, we're popping balloons, sweeping confetti, throwing away trash because we knew in about five hours our worship and AV teams were going to show up and they could not walk into a mess. And the Lord in that moment, he has seared that image on my heart because that's the place where God taught me what ministry was. I was actually hesitant to share it with you today. I don't want applause because I don't want any. This is not about me that was a secret place for me, do you understand? That was like a hidden place for me. But I felt like it would be better for us to have a vision than to not have a vision for it. And so I share it with you, although I don't want, any, I don't want anything for that, other than just to say this, the highest version of ministry is not what happens up here. The highest form of your worship is not what happens as it just happened. It's what happens in the secret place, in the quiet place, and in the unseen place. That is where God forms you and meets you. (laughs) Part of the reason we can have the incredible worship moments that we can have is because Pastor Miata and Doc Brown, Stephen Brown who plays keys, were serving with me up the street, more so I was serving with them at the time, up the street at 180 is what we called our youth group four or five years up there. I played the bass guitar. I don't know how to play the bass guitar. (laughs) But there was a need, so we went and filled it. And for all these years, literally, you guys don't even, some of you don't remember, we were not even in the building, we were up the street. They didn't even want the youth here. They sent them away. No, I'm kidding, we didn't have space, that's not why we did it. We didn't have space in the building. So we had a building down the street. You wanna talk about not being able to be seen? You wanna be talking about showing up just because you love the Lord? Showing up just because there's a need, somebody's gotta do it and we're here, we might as well be the ones to do it. There is something in the hidden place and in the secret place where God forms you and builds something in you that sustains you for the rest of your life. God made David a king in the sheep pen, not on the throne. So maybe the highest goal, In the highest picture, in the highest image that we can have of what this ministry looks like would actually be that of humble service and sacrifice, giving everything of ourselves to somebody else. My wife reminded me of this when we started doing all the talk of the transition a couple years ago and I started getting pulled into meetings with Bishop Brett and Pastor Jim and I would come home just like... Babe, you don't even know what happened. Like, the conversations we had today, I can't even, it's incredible. Like, what is God doing? Is blah, blah, blah. I was just, you know, freaking out, just to be honest with you a little bit. And my wife just like, cool cool hand Luke, man, just unfazed. My wife was like, so what? (laughs) She goes, it's all service. No matter your title, no matter your responsibilities, none of it is more important or less important. It is all service. She regrounded me and rerooted me back in the heart of why any of us do anything that we do. Not unto me, unto him. Look at how Paul models this in the course of his life. The apostle Paul in scripture, uh, he wrote most of the New Testament. In AD 55, he writes the letter to the church in Corinth, one of his earlier letters that he writes. And in this letter in chapter 15 verse nine, he says, I consider myself the least of all of the apostles. That is to say of Peter, James, John, of all of the great men and women of the faith. Paul says, when I compare myself to them, I consider myself the least of all of the apostles. Five years later, he writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says, when I look at the saints, out of everybody who calls upon the name of Jesus, of everybody who's a follower of Christ, I consider myself the least among all the saints. Two years later, he writes to Timothy in First. Timothy, he's nearing the end of his life. He's most mature in his ministry. And he goes, I consider myself the least among all the sinners. The trajectory of Paul's life was the more that I know Jesus, the closer I get to him, the more he reveals himself to me, the less I think of myself. I thought I was in the group of the apostles. I'm happy to be considered a saint. He's going, oh my God, of all the sinners, I'm the lowest. This is the trajectory that should mark every one of our ministries and every one of our lives. That the further we go with God, the lower we go. And that's not saying you think badly of yourself. It's you think realistically about yourself and rightly about God. These words that we read about Jesus getting the name that is highly exalted and above every other name, follow these words from Paul. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is the context within our passage comes. God has highly exalted him. The thing that qualifies Jesus to be high and lifted up is that he was obedient to humble himself to serve so lowly. This is the upside down kingdom that Jesus came to establish here on the earth. You want to be first, you better be last. You want to be the highest, you better get to be the lowest. You want to save your life? Go ahead and lose your life. This is the way it works in the economy of God. We do not achieve greatness the way the world achieves greatness. We pursue greatness in God by humbling ourselves and serving lower than we've ever served before. It is the humility and the sacrifice of Jesus that qualifies him to receive the name that is above every name. And God says in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I share with nobody. So when God then says that Jesus has my name, how many of you know you don't take that lightly? That is saying something. It's saying that Jesus has bestowed upon him the title, the authority, and the power of God. And what does he do with it? He empties himself of it. He humbles himself. He lays aside what was rightfully his so that he could go to a criminal's death on a cross. So that untrue things could be shouted at him, blasphemed at him, cursed at him. So that half the people who encountered him would have the absolute wrong perception of who he was. And he never spoke a word otherwise. Just who who do you say that I am? That's all he wants to know. Who do you say that I am? He knows who he is. Oh, my God, to walk in the confidence of Jesus, to not care what people say about you because you know who you are. And I'll just want to know, who do you think I am? Okay? That's all i got to know. What would it look like for us to be a people who aspire to greatness the way that Jesus aspired to greatness, the way that Paul lived his life in humility? What would happen if we were a people who humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he could actually use us? Sometimes we are the greatest thing standing in the way of God's purposes in our life. It's not happening the way we should have thought, in the timing we should have thought, with the position or the title that we should have thought. So I'm not sure, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wait until I get what I think is right, and God will leave you waiting. He's been around a long time. Six little months to him is nothing until our souls conform and humble ourselves in his image. This is what it looks like, as Bishop has said before, that the way up in the kingdom is down. I say it like this. When we live low, it's only then that God can lift us up high. There is something for us as a people, for you as an individual in your walk with God, with what he wants to accomplish through you that's going to require humble sacrifice. Jesus was given the name above every other name. And there's a reaction the Bible tells us that comes when that name is proclaimed. There's some revelations that are so good you have to react physically. Like have you ever eaten food so good it makes you dance? You know what I'm saying? You get those pork belly tacos from Bar Taco and you're just like, oh my. <laughs> uh, Ozzy Rolls, I'm talking the, 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 come on, Ozzy Rolls in the house. Okay, we all go, okay. Sticky ribs with umami fries That Lazy Dog, anybody, okay. I just had some yesterday called a bombolini from Altostrada. It's like a ricotta fried donut. I don't know, man, it's crazy. But all I know is I was praised, dancing. It's going, I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good, that there's a taste of heaven here in the earth, that I can get a glimpse of your glory, God. Like, like there are some things that are just so good, you can't just say, this is very nice. You've got to react. It's got to come out of you. So whether that's a good meal or whether it's, you know, standing before, like the picture I get is a Banff National Park in, in, in Canada, shockingly blue, like crystal clear blue water, picturesque mountain ranges. It literally looks like it's not real. It's so beautiful. And the reaction when your jaw drops and your eyes get wide and you search for words and you don't have them. <laughs> have you ever seen in Shark Week when a great white comes up out of the water and jumps 20 feet in the air and you go like, ah! Like there's some things, the power, the beauty, the glory, the goodness, they provoke a response from within you that's more than just in word. And the Bible says there's coming a day when at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to hit the floor. Every tongue is going to confess because when you see him as you see him, as he should be seen, you can't just say glory to God. You got to hit the floor and go I'm not worthy to stand before you because of how mighty and majesty and wonderful you are there's something that's going to be provoked in us when we see him as he is to be seen and I can't wait for this day the Bible says every knee should bow and in case you're wondering what it means in the Greek it means every knee shall bow all of the knees all of them Paul clarifies, don't don't think in the natural, not just the human knees, the knees in heaven and the knees under the earth. Hello? Do you know the authority of a name that when he speaks it and the power of a face that when you see it, every knee in the host of heaven and the demons in hell falls to the ground and says he is Lord of all. I ain't nobody compared to that. There's a moment that's coming for all of us when we will see Jesus fully and finally in, 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 for exactly who he is. And some of us will fall to our knees because we have known him as a father and as a friend and as a savior and as a very present help. We have known him in the midnight hour when our hearts were broken. We have known him when we were sick and he has healed us. We have known him when we had no faith and he gave us faith. He resurrected our life from the sin that we lived in and he healed us, he made us new and some of us on that day will run to him and fall on our knees before him and worship him together and I can't wait for that day but the Bible is clear. Not everybody's gonna come to him on that day in that way. There are some who are ambivalent, ignorant, yea, even obstinate to the name of the Lord. They want nothing to do with him. And the Bible is clear on that day, their knees are hitting the floor too. So you can fall to your knees before God, or he can bring you to your knees. But one way or another, you are on the floor. He is on the throne. You're worshiping the name above all names. The Lord of Lords. The King of Kings. The Alpha, the Omega. Emmanuel. Jehovah Jireh. Bye provider, Rafa, my healer, Nisi the banner over me. We are going to sing one way or another. I'm trying to live my life now like I'm in his presence then. I don't want anybody taking my praise from me. I want to have holes in my knees when I get to heaven. I said, Lord, I've been down here before. Hello? I know what your presence was like, not just down here, in my house In the bedroom, on the bathroom floor, Lord, I have been low. Because when I'm low, you're high. And when you're high, I see things right. We're all going to end up on our knees one way or another. Those who live their life there will find it much easier to make their way there later. And my reality has just taught me I would rather live my life on my knees. Because if I don't, life will bring me to my knees. But either way, I'm going to be there. And we are going to worship him because we were made to worship. You understand, this is, this is an internal wiring that each of us has within us. You didn't put it there. God did. And if we do not direct our worship, it will direct itself. And we will worship people and status and influence and pleasure and all manner of worldly things. It is true that if we do not worship the divine, we will worship the profane. John Calvin says, our hearts are idol-making factories. It is what we do. We find things to direct our worship towards. We worship the pleasures of this earth, what people think of us, how many followers we have, uh, the just significance, TV shows. I mean, we worship the craziest stuff, you guys. John, in 1 John, issues a powerful warning i want you to heed today in 1 john 2:17 he says the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of the lord abides forever i need you to know that every good thing on earth is fading the glory is fading The job will end. The money will run out. At some point, you die. I hope you knew that before you came in here. If you forgot, it's the truth. Every meal comes to an end. Every pleasure ceases. But the Bible says in Psalm 16 that it's in his presence that I experience the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That there's something when I'm with Jesus that gives me something I can't get here in the natural. When we chase these things, what are we chasing? We are chasing a transcendent experience that will satisfy us. Even as we eat a good meal, we're going like, miss, it's making me feel like this is great. You know, my, my biggest problem with every meal is that I, f- I finish it. <laughs> There's never been a meal that has lasted with me forever. It's so frustrating. I get hungry again. There has never been an experience that has truly satisfied my soul except for the one like we just had. When God is in your midst, when he's ministering to your spirit, to your body, to your mind, when he's healing you, when he's lifting himself up and you are exalting him, all, I don't know about you all, but my worries go away. My anxiety flees. My fear goes. All of the concerns I came in with, they're not even near my mind anymore because I have tasted and seen the glory of my God. And that rides with me forever. And I tap back into that whenever I need to. Everything in this earth is coming to an end. But there is an unfading glory, a joy forevermore. In a pleasure that never ceases, that awaits for us in the presence of our almighty God. I'm trying to tap into that now as often as I can because I don't want to miss it when the day comes and he's announced, the rider on a white horse coming out from the clouds of heaven, Jesus with the white hair and the bronze skin and the eyes of fire. I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to be first in line, elbowing you out my way. (laughs) As a holy brother, get out of here. <laughs> but here's the stick in the mud with all of this. Here's the rub. Here's the proclivity that all of us carry within our souls. One of the great temptations of man is that we want to take the glory that's reserved for God and bring it onto ourselves. I'm not trying to say that um, you're trying to be worshiped by people, I'm not trying to say you have a God complex. What I am trying to say is who among us doesn't want more credit? Who among us doesn't want more acknowledgement for what you do? More affirmation, more praise, more recognition. Who among us has ever been satisfied with the award or the promotion? How long has that raise in your salary? How long has that really lasted you in terms of satisfying your soul? One paycheck? Did you make it to Two. The pleasures of earth, the praise of earth, it's never enough for us, and we want it. We are like cavernous black holes when it comes to the approval of man and the recognition of the earth and the praise of our peers. Can't find a mom who, doesn't, who feels like she is properly acknowledged for all of her sacrifice, in part because you do so much. I'm not saying you're selfish. I'm saying, I get it. There's no amount of praise I can give to my wife that's that's ever going to satisfy us. There's no amount of praise she can give me that ever makes me feel good enough. We, We have a vacuum within us for this. We crave it. We crave it. We crave it. It's been the problem since the Garden of Eden. When the serpent comes to Eve and says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not only will your eyes be opened, but you will be like God. You will get the praise and the adoration. You will have the power and the glory. You will be like him. And here's what's crazy to me. Adam and Eve were already distinguished and set apart from all other creation. They could not have gotten any more distinction than they already had. I made everything. I made you two different. Not different enough. (laughs) What is wrong with us? God says, I want you to have dominion over the whole earth. I want to be like you. He's like, I made you in my image. You are like me. But he said, I could have more. What is wrong with our souls that even the God who gives us his name, who forms us in his image, who calls us son and daughter, we go, that's not enough for me. I need something else, God, than your word spoken over my life. We can never get enough, we can't. No matter how much you get, it won't be enough. The human soul has this destructive bent towards vanity. And I just came today to step on the head of the spirit of vanity in our midst because we are so bent towards self-glorification. Look at my appearance, look at my clothes, the car I drive, the shoes on my feet. In other words, what? Notice me. Approve me, acknowledge me. If it's not that, then it's going to be your preferences. Well, I think this should be done that way. I'm the smartest person in the room. That's all wrong. You know what the Bible really says? Yeah, da, 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 da. What? I'm the smartest. Hello, I'm better. Look at me. Everything we do, even our personality, sometimes don't be the nicest, funniest, bestest friend in the world, so everyone will like me. We orient our entire worldview view about around the self-glorification. Would others notice something about me? And the Bible is telling me, you want to be noticed in the earth? Don't act like you. Act like him. He's the one that's noticeable. That's different. That's not like the rest of the world. He's the one that stands head and shoulders above everybody else. I'm not here, if lest you hear me, with accusation. Listen, the Lord doesn't say anything to you that he's not first telling me. I made a joke to my friend. I only preach messages that I need to hear, okay? I'm just studying my word. Y'all are just witnessing my Bible study. That's, that's it. So all of what I've had to say, the Lord is speaking to me for the benefit of us. And glory, the adoration of man, the glorification of self is a drug. It is addictive. One of the great problems with the human soul is that we get addicted to things that feel good, and nothing feels better than the approval of everybody around us, the affirmation of those in our lives, the acknowledgement of all of our sacrifice. This is why musicians get addicted to drugs, because they have this moment on stage before adoring fans who cheer and shout, and they can't take that glory with them. So they need to recreate it somewhere else. They're living from high to high to high because the cavernous cavernous hole in our soul will never be satisfied. And do you know why? It's because it was never meant to be satisfied. The word for glory in Hebrew is the word kavod. Kavod is a word that means heaviness or weightiness, which is to say that there is a weight to glory. It sits heavy on the shoulders, which is why no man or woman throughout all of history has ever been able to carry the glory of man for long. At some point or another, it crushes us. The reason don't meet your heroes is because all of that pressure, all of that expectation has squeezed something out of them. And what's come out of them was the thing that was in them in the first place. So don't even get close enough to meet them because there is a covod in glory, a kavod that man was not designed to carry. We were made in the image of God to reflect the glory of God. Amen. We ought to be a mirror, yeah. not a hole, yeah. that as the glory comes, we not to me, but to you, Lord. It's all for him. It's all for him. It's all for him. Because if I start carrying glory on my shoulders, I can promise you it's going to crush me sooner or later. I don't have the strength, nor do I have the stamina. But Jesus says what? My yoke, man, it's easy. My burden It's light. You weren't strong enough. I didn't make you strong enough for that. That was my burden to carry. The mess that you're walking through in your life, it is too heavy for you. Let me carry it with you. The weight of pressure and expectation in your marriage or your parenting absolutely will reveal some cracks in your soul. That's why I need you to come to me to let me hold your hands up as I do it. The weight of financial pressure will crush you. This is why Jesus can be the only hero of our story. He's the only one that can carry the weight and that can handle the glory. And with all of the title and a power and recognition bestowed upon him from heaven, he humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And even as he's nailed up there in his hands and in his feet, he still possesses on his lips the full authority of heaven. To utter a word and a legion of angels would have come and pulled him down. Do you understand the sheer power and the sheer authority of Jesus even as he hangs dying? There was nothing that happened to him that was beyond his ability. He knew exactly what he was doing. He said, my service is not yet complete. My sacrifice is not yet finished. So as I hang here, I'm going to surrender my spirit and say it's finished before it's even over. Do you realize that? He said it's finished, but it wasn't even over yet. Because he said it's finished, he surrendered his spirit, and then he marched down to the gates of hell, snatched up those keys, and came back to earth so that we could walk in victory, power, freedom, and authority. My God is not limited by any earthly expectation or measure. He has within him full power, full authority, and the weight of glory upon his shoulders as the only one who can handle it. I'm trying to live my life today with a very realistic mindset that one day my life is going to be over. One day all of this is going to come to an end and on that day they will say a name and it ain't going to be my name and it ain't going to be your name. It's going to be his name, the name above every name. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who sacrificed so that we could live. The one who gave that we might have. The one who came low to lift us up high. Jehovah Jireh. King of kings, Lord of lords and I'm saying would anybody in this place today begin the praise and begin the worship and not wait for a moment to come in the future but start worshiping here in the natural because you can fall to your knees now, He can bring you to your knees later but either way you're going to worship the Lord, the one who sacrificed His whole life so you could have life. He is righteous and good and glorious and faithful. And all that we do here is for His glory. If we ever do anything that gives a man glory or a woman glory, you let us know. Because this is not for us. This is for Him, unto Him, unto the One, to the Maker of heaven and earth, the Redeemer of my soul, the Reconciler of my relationship, the One who gives me hope in a dark night, favor when I'm fighting the enemies against me, who's near to the brokenhearted and close when I'm in a time of need. He is the One. So God we give you glory in this place. We are not going to wait for another moment. For another time. We are not going to look to another. No God now. You be exalted. Be high and lifted up. And be worshipped in this place. We exist as a people. Not to take glory. But to give it. Trying to live my life every day As a mirror that reflects back to God. The glory that is due His name. To God be the glory in this place. To you, oh Lord, be praised. We give you all the honor. 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 honor. We worship you. For you are worthy of our praise. Sing it again. Sing it again. We give you all the glory. I don't know how you know Jesus. And I don't know what your history with him is. I don't know what defines your relationship. But when you know him like I know him, when he's been closer than a friend and nearer than a brother, when he's been with me in my lowest and in my darkest, when I've been lost, confused, and hurting, when I've been broken and wallowing in my sin and shame, you don't understand how Jesus reaches through all of that to grab me and to rescue me. He saves me from myself. He is worth all the glory, all the honor, all dominion, all the power. God you're worth it in this place we acknowledge your holiness your otherness your goodness and your grace so make the invitation this morning that if you have not called upon the name of Jesus like that but today he is bidding you come would you just respond by showing me your hand so I can pray with you today just throw it up real high so I can see it amen praise God praise God praise God you just need to repent of your sin and turn your life around hallelujah if you're watching online do the same thing there's a button and let's just pray this prayer. We can pray it together in our hearts to God because there's never a moment we come to God we don't need to repent. Father, forgive us. Sometimes we know not what we do. We pursue the glory of ourself over your glory. We were made in your image. And God, we have considered ourselves higher than you at times. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. I repent. I turn today to follow you. I ask you, Lord, to save my soul and I proclaim you are Lord of my life. Make me new, Jesus, and make me like you. You say amen and give God praise in this place.